Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 26. Uh, Matthew, chapter 26. We are uh, approaching... Uh, by the way, good job singing today, guys. I felt, I felt like the practice you're putting in during the week is showing up at game time, so uh, good, good job. Um, but but we, are, we are approaching the most tragic yet the most beautiful moments of, of all time. Uh, and here in a few weeks, uh, Jesus is, is going to be nailed to a cross. He will breathe His last breath. And, and He does this as He reminded us last week that uh, He does it because He is being poured out for the forgiveness of, of our sins and uh, the sins of his disciples, the sins of those who hate him, uh, the sins of you and the sins of, of me. And, and this is all part of a very patient plan uh, that, that God has put into play because of his incredible love for us, that, that he would send Jesus to rescue us, even um, all of us who are, as the Bible would say, hostile towards him. Uh, and and this moment will change everything because for the very first time we have a sacrifice that fulfills the demands of the law. And because Jesus dies for us, we can uh, live forgiven with God. And because, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, Jesus doesn't remain dead. Uh, he comes back alive. And uh, But because He comes back to life, we can live uh, with God, and, and this is the beauty of the gospel, and and I feel like it should always be stirring our affections, uh, really at the first nanosecond of your awareness of your need for Jesus, uh, that it should constantly stir you, and it should stir you even today if you say, well, I've been a Christian uh, more than half of my life, uh, that each and every day that we respond, we remember uh, that out of God's great love for us, He has sent Jesus as both our Savior and our, our Lord, that we will, we will never graduate from this incredible truth that we find in the gospel. And, and God loves us through Jesus. And this is, this is good news, and we're wise to keep uh, this truth hidden in our hearts and have it always readily available on our lips. And, and the scenes that we find in, in Matthew 26 through 28 help us understand the great that was paid uh, lest we treat uh, the love of God and the sacrifice of King Jesus uh, too cheaply. Uh, and, and in these passages, we can see why the demands for living the gospel are so important to, to believers. And we can see, we can better understand uh, why the Apostle Paul would challenge us to live in a manner that is worthy of such a great calling. And, and so we're here this morning, where we are in this morning, uh, our final moments before Jesus is betrayed. Uh, at the very end of our time, Jesus is going to say, Hey guys, guess what? Um, our, our betrayer is at hand, uh, and he will be arrested. Uh, but what we find is this beautifully intimate scene uh, that I'm so thankful that God has allowed us to see, uh, where uh, we find Jesus in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he prays, and, and I think by walking through his simple prayer, uh, not simple in the, the content, but simple in the words, uh, that, that, that we would um, learn something powerful about the intent of prayer. Uh, and I think if, if you find yourself struggling in your prayer life, uh, I, I believe that there's a good chance your prayers can be exposed here. 
Uh, I think if, if you have a hard time understanding why God doesn't um, let you win the lottery, if you keep asking nicely, uh, I think you're going to find uh, that, that, that the way we tend to use prayer um, is misguided. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to listen to what Jesus does as he models something for us. And then we're going to ask ourselves, are we praying grown-up prayers in our, in our lives? And so uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll get going. Father, we come to you. We are thankful that you've given us your word. And we are thankful that you've given us your spirit, that he would speak to us in these times, that he would reveal to us your, your great plan and that you would reveal, he would reveal to us your great love. I pray as we dive in here this morning that we would be very mindful of how significant Jesus is to us that you would stir our affections for him. And that as he prays, we would remember that he has us in mind. And we would respond with gratitude and praise. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, All right, we're, we're going to get to the prayer. Uh, but in order to get there, uh, we have to drive through a, 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 a scene that happens before that. Um, in order, But we're only going to put a pin in it. Uh, we're not going to really address it. We're going to read it, and then here uh, the next week or so, we'll unpack it again uh, when what is said actually is happening. Uh, but let's remember the context for our verses. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the, the Passover celebration. Uh, Jesus told them, remember, he said, hey, go into the city, find a guy, uh, and say, hey, we need a place to stay to have the uh, Passover celebration. And in it, we were, where we were last week, uh, in it, Jesus tells them, one of you will betray me, Right? And then he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. And this is when he gives them another clue uh, that, hey, this is my body that's being broken for you. This is the, the wine is my blood that's being poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and so this is where we are. And Jesus says, one will betray. Uh, and then this is where we find ourselves, verse 30. All right? And when they had sung a hymn, okay? Uh, I don't think it was Amazing Grace yet, uh, but uh, because that one's about get it, that's, that's a... It's just a poor joke. I'm sorry. It's not good. Um, when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Okay? Uh, not to be confused with Olive Garden. Uh, then uh, Jesus said to them, You will follow all, fall away because of me this night. Uh, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Okay? If you're saying, uh, where is that written? You can go to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. That's where we find the fulfillment of this prophecy. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That's, that's what he says. And, and these have been, uh, as, as I've been trying to process through these, through the lens of the disciples, I realize this has to be some incredibly hard words for them to hear. Uh, in fact, uh, we've seen them wading into the waters of, of who Jesus is. They, they've gone from asking, uh, who is this man, uh, to recognizing him as... Uh, Lord and as Savior and as Messiah and, and the Gospel of John tells us that the, their love for Jesus was so strong uh, that, that they knew what uh, lied ahead for them in Jerusalem and they pleaded Jesus, let's not go back to Jerusalem they're coming to kill you they're coming to take you uh, there let's just not go and, and Jesus says, you know, I must go. And so he says, we are going. And the disciples' love for them is so strong 
and so powerful that they look at each other and there's one of them named Thomas uh, who I believe gets a bad rap. Uh, because if you know of Thomas, what's Doubting Thomas? Yeah, you're like, I know that one, right? Uh, doubting Thomas, because we find him later in life saying, I don't know if that is Jesus. I will only know it if I see him and just see the scars. And, uh, but in this beautiful moment, Thomas steps up and he looks at the guys and he goes, He's our people. He's ours. He says, let us go and die with him. Okay? So, so for Jesus to be explaining some of the things that he has been revealing in these last few moments have to be incredibly difficult for, him to re- for them to understand and them to really filter through the pain of it. Because John, I think John gives us the best scene of the upper room. And he, he's been preparing them. He's been telling them uh, that, that life is about to change. And it's going to get hard. And he says, they're going to come for you because they came for me. He says that, that, that God is sending you the Holy Spirit to bring you power. Because there are going to be moments when you want to flee. And so here Jesus comes in and he says, Tonight, this very night, they're coming for me and you're going to run. And he gives them some, some hope, right? He says, okay, I'm going to come back and I'll meet you in Galilee. Uh, but, but nonetheless, Jesus has been speaking of betrayal and denial and, um, and all of this. Again, it has to be very hard because they know their love for Jesus and they've declared His worth. And, and out of the silence, something's going to happen. A guy named Peter's going to speak up. Right? And if you've been following with us, uh, Peter at times, I feel, is given to us for comic relief. Uh, because uh, pre-Holy Spirit Jesus, uh, Peter, uh, is, is a bit of a mess. Uh, he has all the best intentions uh, and all the ability to put his foot in his mouth as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I very much identify with Peter in my life. Uh, and so, so this, is, this is what's going to happen. And so Peter's going to step up and he answers him in verse 33. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Will never and I believe he was, oh man, he was intense. He was sure of it. Guy, Jesus, if they go, I'm just letting you know, you're going to have one guy standing behind you. I'm going to have one guy. And then Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And, and it's this very beautiful scene. It's very Captain My Captain from Dead Poet Society, right? Yeah. Peter, Peter stands on his desk and with his most barbaric yelp, he says, Never. Not me. These schmucks, maybe. Not this guy. I love you. You, you are mine. I, I treasure you. And he believes he would stand for Jesus, and I, and I truly believe that his intentions are pure, uh, that he really, he longs to keep true to his word, and he wants to be willing to die this very night for Jesus if it comes to it. I truly believe that. Um, but we're going to see that as the heat gets turned up in Peter's life, that Jesus' words are going to come true, uh, that, that he will scatter, uh, and that he will deny, and, and we can approach those verses in a week or so with some grace, maybe. Right? Uh, maybe we can understand that maybe we aren't so unlike Peter. Um, but that's not where we're headed today. Let's go, let's go to verse 36. 
Then Jesus, uh, with them, uh, uh, went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and and he said to his disciples, "Sit here while I pray, uh, while I go over there and pray." And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, uh, which I just I love the fact that they say Zebedee, because that's a fun word to say. Uh, but, but this is this is Peter, James, and John. Uh, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And watch with me. And we're going to end up asking some reactive questions based on what's happening here. I don't think any of them will bring brilliant insight uh, to you. I think we're going to ask them to help us stay uh, not only in context, but on the same page uh, that, that Jesus has just revealed to Peter, James, and John uh, his emotional state. And he says that he is filled with so much sorrow that he's going to die. He's just going to die. And this is powerful for us because we learn in the Word that everything in our lives can be brought to Jesus. And Hebrews paints this beautiful picture of the role that he plays as our high priest, that he, he identifies with us. And here in this moment, we can, we can rest assured that no matter how deep the sorrow of our hearts are, He has experienced that kind of pain. He says, I am sorrowful to the point of death. That we can take our, our temptations and our victories and our defeats and our dreams and our questions and, and we can do this because we have a high priest in Jesus who, who sympathizes with us, and I mention this because um, because what this means for you that you can bring him your sorrow because he knows what it's like to carry hurt and to carry burden. Anybody ever had that moment in their life? Anybody in that moment where you say, "I'm sorrowful, and I think this might be the end." I don't see me getting through this one, and yet you do. Psalmist, the psalm, whatever that word was, uh, psalmist says that, that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But, but, but many, there are many of us though that it feels like the night is going to last forever, just forever. And we can take heart in the midst of suffering because Jesus comes in and He's not foreign to nights like this. We get to walk in it with Him in these things. This is this is the night that will not seem to end. And yet it does. He fills the sorrow that within him. So our question is simply this. Why is he feeling sorrow? Right? When you're talking about why is Jesus sorrowful? And the answer, we're going to find it in a lot of places, but one of them in particular is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when, when it says this, for, for our sake, for your sake, he, being God, made him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be made right with God. And so, so the reason why Jesus is sorrowful is because he knows that the path of our salvation takes him through our sin. In order for us to experience salvation, Jesus first has to go straight through our sin. And there's much debate in Jesus' next few words about the intentions of what he's trying to accomplish. 
uh, I think people will confuse his words with trying to get out of the task at hand. Uh, that he's like, hey, I need out of this. This is going to be too much. Um, uh, they'll try to say uh, that, that Jesus is praying for an easier way to complete his mission. Uh, but I believe his words and his sorrows center around the reality that he has known no sin. And his sacrifice is going to take him through our sin. And he has never experienced just even a fraction of a second of a lack of intimacy with God. And the moment that happens, him and the Father, for the first time, not in our story, but in all of story, that will be separated. And I believe that's what brings him to this part, this point of sorrow, the point of death. It's just for a moment, I won't be in intimate relationship with the Father. And it Sin severs us from God. I believe this is what he knows is coming. And, and so where where can you take your sorrow that feels like death may be the result, right? Where where can you take your restless nights? And, and where can you take the weight that feels like it may crush you if you can't roll it off? And here's what I know about you and me, because a lot of us, we wear the scars of trying to find relief for that sorrow. Some of us have made... Uh, the very worst decisions of our life based on the pain that we were going through at that moment. And so we'd be mindful here to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and say, okay, where is He taking the deepest sorrow that I believe anybody will ever experience? And so this is what we find in verse 39. Uh, going a little far, farther, He fell on His face. Would you like to underline your Bible? These next two words. And... So, so where does Jesus take his sorrow? He takes it to the Father. Not only does he take it to the Father, he takes it to his Father. Because these issues in our lives should press us into God, not away from Him. And this is perhaps, maybe this is why we have such a hard time in difficult seasons of our lives, because we get mad at God and we say, well, I don't need you if you're going to be that way, Right? And we take our sorrow and we take it so far away from Him, acting as if we could take it to anywhere He's not already at. And yet, deep issues in life, this is what Jesus is teaching us. The deeper the issue, the more you need to be pressed into God. The, the less you want to run from Him in those cases. In fact, I think there's a case we can make that Jesus says, when He looks at Peter, James, and John, and He says, remain here and watch... I think he's given them something because there's about to be a moment for them coming. They will be sorrowful to the point of death. And I don't think Jesus is looking for a watch, a lookout. I don't think he's saying, hey, post the guys. Let's keep this area secure. Because here in a moment, he's going to say, hey, they're coming. I see them. Right? He's not trying to run away from this issue. So I think when I think there's a case to be made that when he says, hey, Sit here and watch. I think he's telling them, I want you to see where my footsteps go when I am sorrowful to the point of death. And he falls to his knees, falls on his face, and he prays. And I get, I get this. This is what I know. Because as I was writing it, I was like, well, that sure does sound preachy. That sure does say, you know, when life is really hard, just pray to God, you know. 
And I think perhaps we do that because, we, again, we treat prayer so cheaply in this day and age. I, I get that, that there's a case to be made that you not think um, I'm giving you wishful thinking, you know. But hey, pray and also keep your fingers crossed that it will happen, you know. But I think we feel this tension with this thought because we treat prayer as something that's, that's not intended to be. We make it about things much smaller than prayer is intended to be about, right? Hey, I'm going into town. Um, pray for me that all the lights are green. Right? Hey, my kid has a big tournament this weekend. Pray that he won't strike out every time he gets up to bat. You know? Wait, what is that? That's not stirring your heart around the things of God. That, that's not drawing you, pressing you into the Father's heart. That's just hoping and wishing that something easy would happen for you. Right? No, I'm the only one that deals with this. Okay, I got you. That, that Jesus takes his sorrow to God in prayer because he knows it's driving him into the heart of the Father, into refuge, into safety, into intimacy. Well, just read some of the Psalms. And specifically some of the ones that David writes. And he says, man, when life is falling apart, I'm running into you. You are my shield. You are my defender. You are my place of refuge. You are the one that I can come to and believe that you always have my best intentions, my best interests at heart. And I think uh, he, he knows it's only in this intimacy that, that he will find the strength to adventure with God and to fulfill the purpose of what he's been brought into this incredible story to do. And I think if our prayers don't stir our affections for God, then we really need to ask this simple question, why am I praying in the first place? If it doesn't stir you to seeing Jesus more clearly, if it doesn't stir you to seeing God move more mightily around you, then why in the world are you praying in the first place? And my best guess is simply this, I just want my life to be easier. I just want my comfort to be more noticeable around me. And these are some of the things we're going to get to see in what Jesus asked God through prayer. Verse 39. So he tells tells Pete, James, and John, have a seat and watch. It says this, verse 39, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? And you're like, That's a prayer meeting right there, right? A full hour? Um, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, And again for the second time he went and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again he went away and he prayed for the third time saying the same words. And now here's what we're going to do. Okay? We're going to stop here and we're going to choose to ignore something. Okay? I, I know that might sound weird when we're reading a verse in the Bible and we say we're going to choose to ignore it. But we're going to ignore uh, the response of the disciples. 
Uh, because what I want us to do is stay uh, with our minds focused in trying to make much of God, make much of Jesus, uh, because we could very easily, and this is typically what I've seen done in the verses when preachers preach it, right? Uh, we want to make this about us, and so we want to ask questions about, um, you know, our, when the disciples are sleeping and when they have heavy eyes, we uh, we want to come in and we want to ask you to examine your life or whether you are, uh, are you fully awake and are you aware of all that God is doing around you? Uh, we, we would ask questions like, are you sleeping through uh, temptation? We, uh, and these would be fitting questions to ask, but I don't. I want us to ignore that for the time being. I don't even want us to really unpack it. Because uh, what I want us to do is stay here, and I want us to use the remaining three and a half hours of my time with you today uh, to focus on what uh, Jesus is praying. Some of you, like the ones in the back, you're like, I've never been here, so there's a good chance we might be here forever. Um, but but Jesus prays the same prayer essentially three times here. And so, so what, what I want us to do is say, what can we learn from that? When Jesus speaks to the Father, what can we learn? Now, I think there's, there's two incredible things uh, that we can focus our hearts around today. Um, that, that what Jesus does, uh, as we ask this question, what does Jesus reveal in prayer about life with God? Uh, and the first one is simply this, that I can love the Father more than I can love my own comfort. That it is entirely possible to love God more than your own comfort. And some of you say, I don't know, bro. I, I, I don't know if that's possible. I'm telling you, this is what Jesus is modeling. Right? Because he says that this can, this can pass. In fact, uh, one of, the way Mark describes it is Jesus says, all things are possible by you, God. And so if you, if you found another way, we can do that. But then he makes this resolve, Right? Nevertheless, what a powerful turn in that prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And I think this is um, when, when we pray, we typically, typically get to this point of, uh, God, if this cup can pass, and then we end the prayer. Right? God, if this cup can pass. This is, uh, God, if you will keep me from danger. God, if you will rescue me from this situation. God, if you will do something here, uh, because I can't seem to do something for myself. But yet, what Jesus does is he doesn't end with this, if this cup can pass. He stops and he uses that word, nevertheless. He states his request and then he acknowledges his resolve. He comes in, he says, Father, let this cup pass, but not according to my plans, but according to yours. Because he says, you, he says, you are the one I love more than this situation. I love you more than this situation, and regardless of whether your movement answers my prayer in the way I am asking, my love and my desire for you remain steadfast. My love and my desire for your name to be known is the desire of my heart. And I think this is it's a grown-up prayer. It's a big boy riches prayer. And I love that he could be so intimate with his father. This is, this is the request, but here is the result. Nevertheless, your will be done. That, that we would resolve regardless of circumstance that our love for God would never be in competition with our love for our comforts. Never once 
and, and I'm, I'm, this, is, this is when it's hard for me because I'm, I'm so disappointed at times in my life. I don't know if this is you, but this is me. That, that I feel this, this battle waging in my heart. Okay, do I love God more than I love my Because the gospel has never lied to you. Us preachers have it. You and your small groups, you, you've misled each other at times. The gospel has never lied to you about how dangerous it is. Never once. Jesus very openly says, they're coming for you. Don't worry about it. When you're worried, like, why don't they like me? They don't like you. They don't like me. In the same way they came for you, they're coming. In the same way they came for me, they're going to come for you. And this leads us to something else we can learn. That God is not using me for His glory. He is including me in His glory. God is not using me for His glory. He is including me in His glory. I had a friend once that, that he really struggled with um, the role that Jesus played because he thought, his, he thought God the Father was just copping out. With sending the Son to do something He was unwilling or incapable of doing. Uh, and that, that can't be any further from the truth. And it turns out the guy, uh, my friend, that had this idea, he had this idea because he had a really poor um, perspective of the role of the father because he had, a, he had a hard time with his dad. So he just thought his dad, that, that God was sending Jesus to do something he wasn't doing. And this is what we have to understand, that God isn't using you for his glory. He's including you in it. That the gospel's call has never been misleading. That, that when placed in the hands of man, we've managed at times again to cheapen it and to round some of the corners to suit us better. Uh, but, but the Bible never does that. That as believers of the gospel, our lives are wrapped up in a story much larger, much more important than anything we can create on the world. Anything we can create. That's why Jesus is so clear about what is required and why God is so determined for you to see His great work. It's why he refuses to share his glory with one another. In fact, it's one of the big ones, right? I'm the Lord your God. I do not share my glory. I'm jealous for my own glory. It's why he refuses to share it, and it's why the demands of holiness appear to us to be so severe. It's why when some of those words that Jesus says about, um, you know, the cost of following me is all of you, that's all right. Wait, what? Hold on. Come out. I'm good with part of me. I don't know if I can get my heart around all of that. And so Jesus acknowledges that, that the gospel here is, is simply, it's an all or nothing proposition. That, uh, that, that all of Christ for all of me, and again, this is what we say it around here, God always gets the short end of that bargain. Never once will he say, guys, we got him. Finally. Now we can be a cool team. That, that God rescues us at great cost to Himself. And he sends his, his Son. And I think there's something noble about a person being willing to lay down his own life for another person. I think it's incredible. You know, I tear up on those stories all the time. But for someone to be able to send a cherished Son into that story, it's more than literally just blows my mind. But Jesus acknowledges his intention is that God has sent him to do 
that that would be the pursuit of his life, even at the expense of his own. And so, so God uh, was not using Jesus to do what he was unwilling to do. He was including Jesus by displaying his glory and his power and his love toward rescuing sinners who were trapped in sin and death. Uh, it's the most beautiful part of the gospel that we have hope in Christ. That God doesn't use us, and He doesn't use us because He doesn't need us. Are you with that? He doesn't, he doesn't need us. He, he invites us into seeing and magnifying His great name because there is no better reason for breathing. There's no better reason. Absolutely none. That, that the, the, the Westminster Catechism, okay? And I'm sure you've all memorized it by now. Uh, and if you haven't, catch up, people, right? Uh, the first question they ask is simply this. What is the chief end of man? Why are we here? And they, they answer it by saying that the chief end of man is that we would glorify God uh, and enjoy Him forever. That that's why our hearts beat. That's why we breathe. That we would glorify God uh, and that we would enjoy Him forever. And I, I like... Uh, Piper, uh, John Piper makes a, a change, just a subtle one, um, and, and he, in his book, Desiring God, is when, when I first came to awareness of it, and he says, I, I love the catechism, but, but really what I would do, instead of saying that, that uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him together uh, forever, uh, that, that I would make the adjustment and say that we are to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That God would be it. That, that God would be our delight. That our glorifying of God would be the delight of our hearts and our souls. And, and so, so by savoring God, we get to see that anything we do for the glory of His name is by His invitation in allowing us to be part of something so incredibly important. So incredibly beautiful. And, and I, love, I love the scene that, that Luke writes. And we, we start writing. Uh, but, but I love the scene when Luke is telling Jesus about Jesus' prayer in the garden. He says, as he prays it, he gets to the end of it, and an angel is sent by God to strengthen him. Now, this is what I love about it. Because for some would read that and be like, no, no, that's not what he prayed. He didn't pray for strength. He prayed to get out of this, right? He's like, no, no. God sent him an answer to his prayer immediately in this moment. But an angel came to strengthen him. And now let's remember, Jesus has told Peter, James, and John, I'm sorrowful to the point of death. He has fallen on his face. There's other places that says that he is, he is dripping sweats of blood because of the turmoil of his heart. And the angel comes, and I believe gives him strength to do one simple thing, to get up. He's on his face before God, and the angel comes and brings him strength to stand up. Because this is what happens. Verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 46. He says, Rise. Let us be going. He says, See, my betrayer is at hand. And when you stop there, I know you're like, No! Come back next week. We'll talk about what happens. So here's, here's what we need to do. You understand that when, when prayer is engaged properly, we can find great strength, we can find great purpose, we can find very much needed clarity 
in all that God is doing in us, through us, and around us. That it starts to make sense. That, that, that in this instance, Jesus allows His words to shape His resolve. He declares His dependence and His submission to God as the only one who can see Him through the sorrow of this night and the pain of what lies ahead. That, so, so here's our question. is simply this. What about you? Right? Let's turn the tables for a moment and let's try to wear this. What about, what about you? Where do your prayers navigate you towards? Are, are you praying small prayers where, where you don't really need to see God move and you just kind of hope that He would move because it would be easier? Or are you praying selfish prayers as if God's job was to keep your, your belly full and your mind entertained? Are you taking your sorrow to God and are you leaning into Him as your only source of comfort? Or are you are you allowing prayer to shape your heart and that the things of God become the beating of your heart? Or are you praying and declaring and resolving that your life is not your own and your great desire is to make much of the love of God in Jesus? Because prayer, it's not a token exercise in wishful thinking. It's not uh, filling in an omnipresent God on the developments of your life as if uh, the only place He couldn't be is aware of your life. Right? Hey, God, I don't know if you saw what Jim did today. That was mean, though. Will you please end, Jim? Prayer is not about getting out of God what your itching hands want. Prayer is, prayer is our way of centering our hearts and our lives around the things of God. It's about asking Him to refine our desires. It's about asking Him, Hey, God, I, I long to see you move. It's about taking our lives into something much larger than us. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand. We wrap up. We want to make a couple things available to you. We do every week. Mark and Heather and uh, Miss, Miss McAdee over there. Uh, she will. We would love to pray with you if you need prayer. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we think today is the best day to do that. We don't take lightly life with with Jesus. We don't celebrate anything more than that. If you want to stop and take some time and remember the price Jesus paid through through communion, we have some elements available in the back for you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible love, and we thank you that you allow us to see these very intimate moments of life with Jesus. Well, Father, I pray You would grow in us a burning desire for prayer. But not that we would just clue You in on what's going on in our lives as if You were unaware, but that, that, that we would bring our hearts and our lives and the driving forces of, of what we are trying to do in this world, and we would give them to You in prayer. And we would wait for Your Holy Spirit to move in us. 
to remind us of the important task we have as your sons and daughters. We thank you. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.